As I grew and developed in my faith, I was given the opportunity to lead many small groups. Even as a teenager and collegiate, many people trusted me with the opportunity to open up God's Word and teach from it to varying degrees of eager learners. Does that scare you? Well, it did me. It should have scared others. You know why? Because I guided our biblical discussion based upon a question others had asked me. Here's the question. You read a passage and say this, what does that mean to you? As it had been asked to me, I asked it to others. But what if the Bible's message isn't in what you think it is, but in what God intends it to be? Maybe you don't consider yourself a theologian, but I would beg to differ. You have beliefs about God and you share them with others, even if by default. You really are a theologian. The question is, are you a good one? It's time to go to the second mile in our theology. Travis Sagnew, and thank you for joining me for the Second Mile podcast, where we seek to live out the words of Jesus, where he said, if uh, someone asks you to go one mile, go with him the second as well. And today on this 19th episode, I want to uh, talk to you about theology. This this episode's title is called, You Really Are a Theologian. And uh, for those of you that may be just starting a relationship with God, or maybe you've been having one for a long time, maybe you feel like you're an expert uh, student at the Bible, or maybe you feel like that book scares you to death. Here's what I know. Every single person is a theologian. You have beliefs about God. I have beliefs about God. And whether they come from the Bible or culture or opinions or traditions or thoughts, you name it, we have accumulated a theological textbook within our minds that we use to filter every single thing that happens to us. Right or wrong, on our theology, we have it. It's embedded within us. And unless we seek to change it, uh, we're going to be just changed by different things. It might be the cultural's current leanings, or it might be what someone teaches you, or maybe just a feeling that you have on something. And so uh, going back to that question, so many times people will open up the Bible and say, uh, let me read a passage of Scripture to you, and then ask a simple question. What does that mean to you? And so someone says, well, I think it means this. And then Someone else comes along and says, well, I think it means that. And who are we to argue with what someone's interpretation will be? Well, uh, maybe we should be someone because uh, Satan has misinterpreted Scripture. People have misinterpreted Scriptures. Uh, Cults have created. People have wandered away from the faith uh, because they have not gone to a biblical understanding of what theology is, but it's been a personal theology. And, and so the reason why I think this is important is regardless of where you are in your own personal faith right now, is that I want to encourage you that you need to develop a robust theology. That means that you take where you are and you go a little bit deeper. Second Timothy 2.15 says that we should do our best to show ourselves approved to God as a workman who has no need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And it doesn't say do your pastor's best or do your seminary professor's best or do the theologian's best. It says do your best. But that means that you are going to work at it, developing a theology, that you do your personal best to show yourself a workman, not a lazy bum, but someone who's actually working this out so that you can be a workman who's approved by God, not approved by culture, not approved by some tradition, but approved by God that you're doing what? That you're accurately handling the word of truth. So my question is right now, based on your theology that you have, the study of God, right? Theos uh, is God, theology, the, the study of the study of God. Would you say that you have a biblical understanding and that you have done your personal best to develop a biblical theology? 
Here's the reality. I, I, I knew years ago that I had not. Uh, I was sitting uh, somewhere some uh, in a, a service, and I heard someone say a line uh, from a book. It was a quotation from a um, older pastor who had passed at that time, and and the line completely changed my life. And uh, you may hear it, uh, and you may think, "What's well, so big of a deal?" But the person that was quoting it was quoting a pastor by the name of A. W. Tozer, and in his first line of the book called "The Knowledge of the Holy," this is what the line says. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And as soon as he said that, I thought, I don't know if I agree with that. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I thought, surely there's more important things about me. But but Tozer was obviously onto something because your belief, your theology, what comes to your mind when you think about God, it dictates everything about your life. It changes absolutely everything. And so for me, I realized that I had some beliefs about God. Some of them were biblical, but some of them were just personal. In fact, I believe that what often I hear people in the culture is that even if you say, here's what God's Word says, someone will come back and say, yeah, I know God's Word says that, but... I don't believe God's actually like that. And what are we basing that on? We're basing that on our feelings. We're basing that on what culture thinks. We're basing that on what someone else has told us or or whatever, how it navigates and maybe a nice theological system that we've sort of put together in a nice little cage there. Um, And we've kind of, you know, tried to uh, contain God into what we think that he should be. In reality, all of us, we are theologians. And so that that line from A.W. Tozer, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, set me on a path that I never really expected where I, I really um, studied in, in a book, The Knowledge of the Holy, where he wrote that, uh, the attributes of God. And the attributes more than a characteristic. An attribute is kind of like who how it embodies something, right? And so, so the attributes of God are, are really telling us who he is. And so from that point on, uh, when I was just starting out ministry, uh, really as volunteer and going up through college and and then starting um, pastoring uh, at a local church and and serving and teaching and doing Bible studies, you name it, I, I could never get away from the attributes of God. It just continually came up to where I felt like people would have a, well, what does this verse mean to you? And what do you think about God? And I thought, man, I've got to really teach um, the biblical attributes of God. And so while I've taught those to college students or in sermons to uh, random groups of people or uh, where I've taught them uh, just most recently here in our local church context and uh, even dealing with people who have been um, in their 80s that have been in church their entire life to those that are going through rehab that have been in church for the first time ever, and getting all those people in a room and teaching on the attributes of God reminded me of how important of a discipline this is that we would develop in our own theology. And so that's why it came upon uh, me is that that I'll teach and write through blog or different things like that, that I felt like it was necessary for me to contain some of these thoughts and put it into a book format. Uh, I have been uh, having uh, two chapters of this book um, for probably close to 10 years. One chapter definitely for 10 years. The last chapter I've probably had for about uh, four years uh, sitting on my computer and I just kept pushing it off to the side because honestly, just fear uh, and trepidation of addressing something about the biblical attributes of of teaching on this because obviously people have all types of different understanding of of what this could be and what it should be and different denominations and experiences and whatnot and also just the challenging scope of trying to describe who God is through the pages of the Bible is always an intimidating task. 
But for years, I mean, literally, probably, uh, I'd say 15, 16 years ago, I was teaching a series at a college ministry at our church that was around this concept. Uh, Before that, I would go do itinerant uh, speaking engagements, and I would talk about attributes of God on a weekend retreat or whatnot. So this has been something in my life probably for 15 to 20 years uh, that I've been just mulling over. And and the title that I've given the book that I'm close to finishing up and will be released here within a few days is called Wiki God. And you might think of, okay, well, that's a different title for it, but uh, many of you would know Wikipedia. And the idea be- uh, behind Wikipedia is it's kind of like the encyclopedia, right? It's, it's giving you content, but Wiki is something that basically it's, it's kind of fluid. And so anybody can join into this website and you can change the content of it uh, as someone, a participant, and someone else can come alongside and say, no, that's not accurate, and they change it. And so it, it's kind of fluid stuff. So I got to know Wikipedia when I became a college um, adjunct faculty where I would be uh, teaching students in religion department and when people would cite sources from Wikipedia. And I would say, hey, we need something a little bit more substantial than something that can be edited like from this point to that point by some guy in his basement. And uh, these people and the students would look at me like with crazy eyes, what do you mean we can't uh, do this? Like this is good content. I'm going, hey, it may be good, but it's not like necessarily accurate and it's, it's changing. But that's the culture that we live in with, with Wikipedia is that anybody can come in and change and alter anything. I mean, honestly, just think about how much stuff you read on the Internet. By the way, just because you read it on the Internet doesn't mean it's true. In fact, there's some sites that are just satire sites just meant to really uh, make uh, um, jokes about things in culture or church context. And anybody can go in and change it. So just because you read it doesn't mean it's accurate. So I took that concept of of Wikipedia and applied it to our theology and called this Wiki God. And so the subtitle being uh, The Dangerous Editable Deity. Uh, When we come in and and the icons around it are cut, copy, and paste. And just the thought of cutting something out of biblical theology or copying something from another type of worldview we like and pasting it into our own situation. And so that was the concept of Wikigod. And so with that, uh, I was able to uh, finally just determine I was going to finish this project. And so there's an opening chapter and a concluding chapter. And then within those two, there's 18 attributes that I I try to do. Each attribute gets seven pages, uh, an attribute, those 18 chapters that we look at the transcendence of God or the eminence of God or the omnipresence of God or the love of God or the grace of God or the mercy of God, you name it, and looking at these elements of who they are. And so uh, I just thought maybe that... if this would be something that perks your interest is sort of a way that I, I've been uh, trying to show in my own life and developing my own theology, uh, I'm just going to read a few pages of from the book um, and uh, just so you get sort of idea of why this is so important uh, because I can talk to you about it, but I think maybe just as I've been crafting some of these words, maybe it would sort of help you uh, understand. And so this chapter uh, that I'm going to read a few pages from is called The Edible Editable God. It's hard to say, right? The Editable God. Um, And so I hope that this would be something that maybe would perk your interest in developing your own theology. So here's a few pages from chapter one. Wiki is a type of website that allows collaborative editing of its written content. You don't have to be an expert in computer coding or even the specific topic at hand before you are given complete expressive license to create and to edit the matter of such a site. The only expertise that is needed to contribute is the ability to think somewhat coherently and to express oneself through type communication. I believe we are living in a time that has taken this type of editable approach to theology. In this anti-authoritative, individualistic society, it is socially intolerant to be religiously intolerant. 
The culture teaches that what's good for you is good for you, but not necessarily me. If this is true, what I believe about my beliefs has absolutely no jurisdiction upon your own. We are taught to allow someone to continue operating in perilous ignorance over warning them to any impending danger. In lieu of divine revelation, we have sought out sideways collaboration. Instead of learning from the expert, we effortlessly become the expert. We have traded truths etched in stone by the finger of the Almighty God for erasable opinions jotted down on disposable coffee shop napkins. Our culture worships the wiki God. We want ever so desperately to serve a deity whom we have the freedom and capability to edit. We cut out what we dislike about God. We copy a belief from another religion and paste it over into our own. This syncretistic approach places God upon a theological buffet in which we pick and choose those delicacies that we enjoy and pass over the dishes upon which we would rather not chew. Voltaire said it this way, In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. I cannot disagree with him. We were made to be like God and not the other way around, yet we filter truth as soon as it conflicts with our preferences. When Scripture teaches an attribute of God that doesn't settle nicely into our neat, tidy theological cages that we have assembled, we resort to tossing out those doctrines altogether. I just don't think God is like that, could be the theological slogan for our culture. As gently as I can say this, please process this truth. It doesn't matter what you or I think about God. It matters what God thinks about God. We must submit to the ultimate authority on such a significant matter and never frivolously choose to accept the societal flavor of the month theology. If we plant our feet deep in our independent worldview stances, unwilling to change even when the truth is undeniably revealed, we will never reach a satisfying conclusion as individuals or as a culture. If we espouse beliefs based upon consensus, we will throw biblical doctrine overboard ever so eagerly and find ourselves unaware that we have entered far more dangerous waters. We will voyage at what seems to be a quicker, unhindered pace until we run ashore to our utter demise, realizing far too late that the anchor that we thought was our captivity was instead our only salvation. Truth does not hold us back. Truth keeps us up. If we pursue a biblical theology, we might be alarmed at how far we are from God's characterizations of Himself. The more we come to know about Him, we may be shocked to realize how different he is from us. The psalmist in chapter 50 verse 21 declared God's position by stating, You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Have we been found guilty for assuming that God is positionally identifiable with us? Our opinions want to dictate that God should be qualitatively relatable, but we honestly do not want to experience the ramifications of living in a world governed by a God who is tailored by us. Our edited versions of God would run this world to the ground because he would look too much like us. And nowadays, when one begins to use such dirty words such as truth, the crowds begin to exclaim from the streets, there is no absolute truth. Well, is that statement absolutely true? All truth is relative. Apparently, all truths are relative except when it comes to that specific phrase. That might be true for you, but not for me. Can I say that about your statement? Well, you ought not to challenge someone else's belief is in reality a challenge of someone's belief. Postmodernism, also referred to as relativism, is a notion that there is no absolute truth. What's true for one does not mean it has to be necessarily true for another. 
Developed by the desire to see unity among humanity's search for truth, postmodernism has attempted to silence exclusivist religions from maintaining vital doctrinal stances. Those who hold this worldview believe that the only absolute truth allowed is when it pertains to their inclusive beliefs. Not only is this thinking religiously offensive, but it is rationally absurd. No matter how hard we try to put the theological backspace within everyone's reach, we must quickly acknowledge the frivolous nature of such an attempt. Allowing everyone to come up with their unique version of God does not help us come closer to understanding God. What appears as valiant efforts to know God are actually devious attempts to dethrone God. Unadulterated truth must be pursued and never neglected for something inherently lesser. Oftentimes, in the quest for such a noble purpose, we substitute God's eternal truth for our temporal opinion. We can see the goal up ahead in the distance, but it honestly isn't the destination at which we thought we would arrive. Jaded by scratching the surface of such a startling discovery, we would rather elect a new leader and draft a new constitution. In our pride, we believe that if we can just recast the lead part, then we can rewrite the script and create a more satisfactory final presentation. In the Bible, the devil is depicted as a fallen angel who tried that exact thing. Consumed by pride, he wanted to take God's throne for himself. He is known for having the audacity of questioning and even challenging God's methods. When he tempted the first couple of the Bible, he deceived them by playing to a desire shared with them to know what God knows. If they know what God knows, they don't have to rely on him anymore for this coveted knowledge. More than merely the apprehension of information, they wanted to craft the very definition of knowledge. They wanted the authority to discern what was right and what was wrong. If they could obtain this power, they would pridefully wield the ability to take God's place. They can redraft the sacred textbook and procure a desired state of fluid theology. Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie over the truth. The falsity was more palatable. The devil's deceit was indeed more convenient. This couple preferred a deity of their own making versus the maker himself. They tried to rewrite what he said and fundamentally remake who he is. They wanted to replace God. This line of thinking did not dissipate with Eden's eviction. The desire to make God play by our ever-changing rules still lures us today. We throw out the truth and replace it with our opinions. Our culture is currently experiencing moral anarchy because we have attempted to remove the possibility of divine authority. Our subconscious reveals our double standards concerning doctrine. We don't want to be told what to believe by God or anyone else, but we think that our beliefs should be eagerly accepted and celebrated by all. How can we coexist in a world when our opinions concerning God are so vast in scope? The campaign to coexist religiously urges people to avoid any sense of staunch doctrinal loyalty. The problem is that many religions do call for unwavering allegiance. While I am the first to admit that many of history's darkest moments came under the influence of those thinking they were doing God's work, we cannot throw out religious devotion due to some extremist religious distortion. Truth can never be determined by a vote or a committee. The essence of truth makes its very nature absolute. Truth must also be timeless and universal. Any doctrine worth believing must be able to be regarded as true by any person in any location at any time, or else it is simply not the truth. If one belief is acceptable for you but not for me, it is a blatant falsehood. One or both of us is undoubtedly incorrect. If I think God is pleased with our society and you think he is disgusted, can we both be correct? If I am a staunch believer that God intervenes throughout history and you believe that he is the ancient watchmaker who set the cogs and wheels in motion but then turned it loose to let it be, can we ta- be talking about the same God? 
If I think God empathizes with my greatest sorrow and you think he is too lofty to depress himself with whiners like me, don't you see that at least one of us is terribly, terribly wrong? This conflict complicates our discovery for the answer to the question concerning the character of God. It reveals the fact that if we rely on each other's opinions concerning the divine, we only possess mere personal sentiments with which to disagree. Opinions devoid of any apparent authority will continue to enable religious conflicts that have plagued history. A.W. Tozer was a lofty theologian and a passionate pastor of the 20th century. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he presented a thesis statement that signifies the importance of addressing this issue. He wrote, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. On the first read, that statement may seem a bit dramatic, but is he on to something here? If someone thinks that God is a lightning bolt throwing angry titan in the sky, that person will carefully calculate how he or she lives his or her life. If someone thinks God could care less about the chaotic condition of this planet, that person will probably not seek God for help amidst growing concerns. If someone assumes that God does not exist, the only accountability that a person can have is himself or herself. What comes to your mind when you think about God might be the most important thing about you. If Tozer is correct with the thought that our theological beliefs have the power to change every element of our lives, it is of utmost importance to make sure that our convictions are painstakingly accurate. If what comes to my mind when I think about God is the most important thing about me, then I better ensure that what comes to my mind when I think about God is actually correct. I desperately need truth. If truth does exist, it is far superior and more enduring than my flighty opinions. What God says about God is far more dependable than what I say about God. So there were a few pages from chapter one on the editable uh, God, where we seek to come in and, and cut out what we don't like and copy from another worldview and paste it into our own. And that's just kind of a taste of it. And, and so I, I want to sort of explain that to you and just to sort of really honestly, uh, despite even if you're interested in the book, to really articulate you to this concept, you really are a theologian. Uh, you have beliefs about God and what you say could influence the way other people would believe as well. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible uh, comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, Paul talking to Pastor Timothy and saying, You better be careful with the theology that you have, because not only does it affect you, but those who are listening to you. You are a theologian. You are teaching people. People are learning from you. You have opinions about who God is. What I'm asking is, would you uh, dig in and really start developing a biblical theology? You are a theologian. And so I, I do appreciate your prayers. Uh, the, the the plan is for it to be released uh, next Tuesday uh, so that it would be available uh, on May 21st. And uh, I just pray that it would be something that could be a benefit uh, to a culture that honestly has a lot of confusion about what the Bible is and, and what God is and what theology is. And so I, I realize this, though, if no one else reads this, um, the early morning, uh, just literally just pouring myself over the scriptures and, and seeing who God is. If no one else reads this, I, 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 honestly, I can say this, it's benefited me so much uh, that I'm a better person because of it. I, I love God more than I've ever loved him. I, I feel like I'm a better theologian and pastor and husband and father and friend, you name it, because of just pouring myself and developing on theology. And because I, I know I'm a theologian, I know that people are learning from me. Um, and so if I am a theologian, I just want to be a biblical one. And I would encourage that you would desire that as well 
So whether or not this uh, post or this podcast or this book could be a resource to you, I just want to encourage you, get in the Word, and wherever you are, you do your best to show yourself as someone who is approved to God, uh, accurately handling the Word of Truth. I hope to see you on the second line.